0: The Tree of Appomattox: A Story of the Civil War's Close, by Joseph A. Altsheller, the eighth and final volume of the Civil War series, produced by Civil War Audio at civilwar.builtwithflash.com, read by John Versis. You can find us on Facebook at Civil War Audio Podcast. Chapter 9: At Grips with Early. Dick felt great excitement and elation as he rode before dawn with Colonel Winchester and the spy to see Sheridan. They found him sitting by a small fire, receiving or sending reports, and talking with a half dozen of his generals. It was not yet day, but the flames lighted up the commander's thin, eager face and made him look more boyish than ever. Dick felt, as he had felt before, that he was in the presence of a man. He had had the same impression when he stood near Grant and Thomas. Did strong men send off electric currents of will and power, which were communicated to other men, by which they could know them, or was it the effect of deeds achieved? He could not decide the question for himself, but he knew that he believed implicitly in their leader. Colonel Winchester paused near Sheridan, but the general's keen eye caught him at once. "Good morning, Colonel Winchester," he exclaimed. "You bring news of value. I can tell it by your face." "I do, sir," replied the colonel. "But it was Mr. Shepard here, whom you know, and Lieutenant Mason who obtained it." "Mr. Shepard, show General Sheridan the map." It was characteristic of Colonel Winchester, a man of the finest feelings that he should have Shepard, instead of himself, carry the map to General Sheridan. He wanted the spy to have the full measure of credit, including the outward show, for the triumph he had achieved with the aid of his sister. And Shepard's swift glance of thanks showed that he appreciated it. He drew the map from his pocket and handed it to the General. Sheridan held it down, where the full glow of the flames fell upon it, and he seemed to comprehend at once the meaning of the lines. A great light sprang up in his eyes. "'Ah!' he exclaimed. "'The location of the Confederate forces "'and the openings between them and the mountains. "'This is important! "'Splendid! "'Did you make it yourself, Mr. Shepard?' "'No, sir. "'It was made by my sister, who came from Richmond. "'We met her on the mountain.' Sheridan looked at Shepard, "'and the eyes of General and Spy met in complete understanding. "'I know of her,' the General murmured, "'a noble woman. "'There are many such as she "'who have done great service to our cause "'that can never be repaid. "'But this, this is a stroke of fortune.' "'Look, Merritt, Averill, all of you,' he said aloud, "'here lies our path. "'Mr. Shepard, you will go over the details of this with us, "'and Colonel Winchester,' "'You and your aide remain also to help.' "'Dick felt complimented, and so did Colonel Winchester. "'Sheridan knew how to handle men. "'While the Sentinels, rifle on shoulder, "'walked up and down a little distance away, "'a dozen eager faces were soon poring over the map, "'Shepard filling in details as to the last little hill or brook. "'Since we know where they are and how many they are,' said Sheridan, We'll make a big demonstration in front of Fisher's Hill, where Early's works are too strong to be carried. And while we keep him occupied there, we'll turn his left flank with a powerful force, marching it just here into the open space that Mr. Shepard's map shows. Tomorrow, or rather today, for I see the dawn comes, will be a day of great noise and of much burning of powder. But behind the curtain of smoke, we'll make our movements. Merritt, with his cavalry shall go to the right, and Averill will go with him. Crook shall take his two divisions, and hold the north bank of Cedar Creek. And later on, Crook shall be the first to strike. Gentlemen, we've won one victory, and I know that all of you appreciate the value of a second and a third. The opportunity of the war lies here before us. We can uncover the entire left flank of the Confederacy here in Virginia, and who knows what will follow. He looked up, his eyes glowing, and his confidence was communicated to them all. They were mostly young men, and they responded in kind to his burning words. Sheridan knew that he could command from them the utmost fidelity and energy, and he uttered a little exclamation of confidence. "'I shall consider the victory already won,' he said." The generals left for their commands, and Sheridan again thanked Colonel Winchester, Dick, and Shepard. I recommend that all three of you take some rest, he said. You won't have much to do this morning. They saluted, mounted, and rode back. You take his advice, Dick, and roll yourself in your blanket, said Colonel Winchester, when they were on the way. I will, sir, said Dick, although I know that great history is being made now. "'I feel that way, too,' said the Colonel. "'Look, the sun's coming up, and you can see the Confederate outposts.' The thin, clear air of September was brilliant with morning light, and through glasses the Confederate outposts and works around Fisher's Hill were quite clear and distinct. Some of the northern and southern sentinels were already exchanging compliments with one another, and they heard the faint popping of rifles.' But Dick well knew from Sheridan's words that this early firing meant nothing. It would grow much heavier by and by, and it would yet be but the cover for something else. He found Warner and Pennington already sound asleep, and wrapping himself in his blanket, he lay down under a tree and fell asleep to the distant crackle of rifles and the occasional thud of great guns. He slept on through the morning while the fire increased, and great volumes of smoke rolled as the wind shifted up and down the valley. But it did not disturb him, nor did he dream. His slumbers were as sound as if he lay in his distant bed in Pendleton. While Dick and his comrades slept, Sheridan was moving the men on his chessboard. Young in years, but great in experience, He was never more eager and never more clear of mind than on this one of the most eventful days of his life he saw the opportunity and he was resolved that it should not escape him two great reputations were made in the valley by men very unlike stonewall jackson and little phil sheridan in the earlier years of the war The Union armies had suffered many disasters there, at the hands of the leader under the old slouch hat. And now Sheridan was resolved to retrieve everything, not with one victory alone, but with many. There was firing in the valley all day long, the crackling of rifles, the thudding of the great guns, and the occasional charge of horsemen. The curtain of smoke hung nearly always. Sometimes it grew thicker, and sometimes it became thinner, but Sheridan's mind was not upon these things. They were merely the veil before him, while behind it, as a screen, he arranged the men on his chessboard. When night came, his whole line was pushed forward. His vanguard held the northern part of the little town of Strasburg, while Early's held the southern part, only a few hundred yards away. In the night, the large force under Crook was moved into the thick forest along Cedar Creek, where it was to lie, silent and hidden, until it received the word of command. All the next day, the movements were continued, while Crook's force, intended to be the striking arm, was still concealed in the timber. Yet, before dark, there was a heavy combat, in which the southern troops were driven out of Strasbourg, enabling the northern batteries to advance to strong positions. That night, Crook's whole strength was brought across Cedar Creek, but was hidden again in heavy timber. To the great pleasure of its colonel and other officers, the Winchester Regiment was sent to join it as a cavalry support. It was quite dark when they rode their horses across the creek, and Shepard was again with them as guide. Although he concealed it, the spy felt a great exultation. THE MAP THAT HE HAD BROUGHT FROM HIS SISTER HAD PROVED INVALUABLE. SHERIDAN WAS USING IT EVERY HOUR, AND Shepard WAS GIVING FURTHER ASSISTANCE THROUGH HIS THOROUGH KNOWLEDGE OF THE GROUND. DICK WAS GLAD TO RIDE BESIDE HIM AND WHISPER WITH HIM NOW AND THEN. I HAVEN'T KNOWN THINGS TO GO SO WELL BEFORE, DICK SAID WHEN THEY WERE ACROSS THE CREEK. THEY'RE GOING WELL, MR. MASON, SAID Shepherd, BECAUSE EVERYTHING IS ARRANGED there is provision against every unlucky chance. It's leadership. The difference between a good general and a bad general is about 50,000 men. The entire division moved forward in the dusk at a fair pace, but so many troops with cavalry and guns could not keep from making some noise. Dick, with Shepard and the sergeant, rode off in the woods towards the open valley to see if the enemy were observing them. Dick's chief apprehensions were in regard to Slade and Skelly, but they found no trace of the guerrillas, nor of any other foes. The night was fairly bright, and from the edge of the wood they saw far over hills and fields, dotted with two opposing lines of campfires. A dark outline was Fisher's Hill, and lights burned there too. From a point in front of it a gun boomed now and then, and there was still an intermittent fire of skirmishers and sharpshooters. "'That hill will be ours in sight of twenty-four hours,' said Shepard. "'We'll fall upon early from three sides, and he'll have to retreat to save himself. "'He hasn't numbers enough to stand against an army driven forward "'by a hand like that of General Sheridan.'" While Dick, the sergeant, and the spy looked from the woods upon the lights of Fisher's Hill, The Invincibles lay in an earthwork before it, facing their enemy. Harry Kenton sat with St. Clair, Langdon, and Dalton. The two colonels were not far away. For almost the first time, Harry's heart failed him. He did not wish to depreciate early, but he felt that he was not the Great Jackson or anything approaching him. He knew that the troops felt the same way. They missed the mighty spirit and the unfaltering mind that had led them in earlier years to victory. They were ragged and tired, too, and had but little food. Happy Tom, who concealed under a light manner, uncommonly keen perceptions, noticed Harry's depression. "'What are you thinking about, Harry?' he asked. "'Several things happy, among them the days when we rode here with Stonewall from one victory to another.' We'll have to think of something else. Cheer up. Remember the old saying that the darkest hour is just before the dawn. Who's done? That's not like you, Harry. You've usually put up the boldest front of us all. Happy's giving you good advice, said St. Clair. So he is, said Harry, as he shook himself. We'll fight them off tomorrow. They can't beat us again. The spirit of old Jack will hover over us. "'If we only had more men,' said Dalton, "'then we could spread out and cover the slopes of the mountains on either side. "'I wish I knew whether those dark fringes hid anything we ought to know.' "'They hide rabbits, squirrels, raccoons, birds, and maybe a black bear or two, said Happy Tom. "'When we shatter Sheridan's army and drive the fragments across the Potomac, "'I think I'll come back here and do a little hunting.' leaving to Lee the task of cleaning up the army of the Potomac. "'I'd like to come with you,' said St. Clair, "'but I wouldn't bring any gun. "'I'd just roam through the woods for a week and disturb nothing. "'If I saw a bear, I'd point my finger at him and say, "'Go away, young fellow. "'I won't bother you if you won't bother me.' "'And then he'd amble off peacefully in one direction, "'and I'd amble off peacefully in another.' I wouldn't want to hear a gun fired during all that week. I'd just rest, rest, rest my nerves and my soul. I wouldn't break a branch or a bush. I'd even be careful how hard I stepped on the leaves. Birds could walk all over me if they'd like. I'd drink from those clear streams, and I'd sleep in my blanket on a bed of leaves. But supposed it rained, Arthur. I wouldn't let it rain in that enchanted week of mine. Nothing would happen except what I wanted to happen. It would be a week of the most absolute peace and quiet the world has ever known. There wouldn't be any winds. They would be zephyrs. The skies would all be made out of the softest and finest of blue satin, and any little clouds that floated before them would be made of white satin of the same quality. The nights would be clear, with the most wonderful stars that ever shone, Great new stars would come out for the first time and twinkle for me, and the man in the most silvery moon known in the history of time would gridden down at me and say without words, St. Clair, old fellow, this is your week of peace, and everything has been fixed for you, so make the most of it. And then I'd wander on. The birds would sing to me, and every one of them would sing like a prima donna. Wherever I stepped... "'Wild flowers would burst into bloom as I passed, "'and if a gnat should happen to buzz before my face, "'I wouldn't brush him away for fear of hurting him. "'The universe and I would be at peace with each other.' "'Hear him! Oh, hear him!' exclaimed Happy Tom. "'Old Arthur fairly distills the essence of highfalutin' poetry.' "'I don't know that he's so far-fetched,' said sober Dalton. "'I feel a good deal that way myself. "'I suppose, Thomas Langdon, "'that the colors of the world depend upon one's own eyes. "'What I call green may appear to you like the color of blue to me. "'Now, Arthur really sees all these things that he's telling about, "'because he has the eye of the mind with which to see them. "'I've quit saying that people don't see things, "'because I don't see them myself.' "'Good for you, Professor,' said Langdon.' "'That's quite a lecture you gave me, long, though not windy, and I accept it. "'Those Elysian fields that Arthur was painting are real, "'and he's going to have his enchanted week, as he calls it. "'Arthur is a poet, though, sure enough. "'I have written a few little verses which were printed in the Charleston Mercury,' said St. Clair. "'What's this? What's this?' "'asked a mellow voice. "'Can it be possible that young gentlemen "'are discussing poetry between battles "'and with the enemy in sight?' "'It was Colonel Talbot coming down the trench, "'and Lieutenant Colonel St. Hilaire was just behind him. "'The young officers rose and saluted promptly, "'but they knew there was no reproof in Colonel Talbot's tone. "'We had to do it, sir,' said Harry respectfully. "'Something struck Arthur here.' and like a fountain he gushed suddenly into poetry. He had a most wonderful vision of the Elysian fields and of himself wandering through them for a week, knee-deep in flowers, and playing the softest of music on a guitar. "'He's put that in about the guitar,' protested St. Clair. "'I never mentioned such a thing. "'But all the rest is true.' "'Well, if I had my way,' said the colonel, "'you should have a guitar, too, if you wanted it.' "'and I like the idea of yours about a week in the Elysian Fields. "'We'll join you there, and we'll all walk around among the flowers, "'and Hector's relative, that wonderful musician, young DeLenge, "'shall play to us on his violin, "'and maybe the famous Stonewall will come walking to us through the flowers, "'and he'll have with him Albert Sidney Johnston and Turner Ashby "'and all the great ones that have gone.' "'The colonel stopped.' "'and Harry felt a slight choking in his throat. "'In the course of this lull, "'Leonidas and I have had some thought "'of resuming our unfinished game of chess,' "'said Lieutenant Colonel St. Hilaire. "'But the time is really unpropitious and too short. "'It may be that we shall have to wait "'until the war is over to conclude the match. "'The enemy is pressing us hard, "'and I need not conceal from you lads "'that he will press us harder tomorrow. So he will, agreed Colonel Talbot. There was some heavy and extremely accurate artillery fire from his ranks this afternoon. The way the guns were handled, and the remarkable rapidity and precision with which the discharges came, convinces me that John Carrington is here in the valley, ready to concentrate all the fire of the Union batteries upon us. It is bad, very bad for us, that the greatest artillerymen in the world should come with Sheridan... And yet we shall have the pleasure of seeing how he achieves wonders with the guns. It was in him, even in the old days at West Point, when we were but lads together, and he has shown more than once in this war how the flower that was budding then has come into full bloom. As if in answer to his words, the deep boom of cannon rolled over the hills, and a shell burst near the earthwork. "'That, I think, was John talking to us,' said Colonel Talbot. "'He was saying to us, "'Beware of me, old friends. "'I'm coming tomorrow, not with one gun, but with many. "'Well, be it so, we shall give John and Sheridan a warm welcome, "'and we shall try to make it so very warm "'that it will prove too hot for them. "'Now, my lads, there's no immediate duty for you, "'and if you can sleep, do so. "'Good night.' They rose and saluted again as the two colonels went back to their own particular place. "'I hope those two will be spared,' said St. Clair. "'I want them to finish their chess game, and I'd like, too, to see their meeting after the war with their old friend, John Carrington.' "'It will all come to pass,' said Harry. "'If Arthur is a poet, as he seems to be, then I'm a prophet, as I know I am.' "'Well, at least you're an optimist,' said Dalton.' "'Go to sleep, all of you, as the colonel told you to do so,' said Harry. "'If you don't stop talking, you'll keep the enemy awake all night.' But Harry himself was the last one of them to sleep. He could not keep from rising at times, and in the starlight, looking at the fires of the foe in the dark slopes of the mountains. His glasses passed more than once over the forests along Cedar Creek, but no prevision No voice out of the dark told him that Dick was there, one of a formidable force that was lying hidden, ready to strike the fatal blow. His last dim sight, as he fell asleep, was a spectacle evoked from the past, a vision of old Jack riding at the head of his phantom legions to victory. At dawn, all of Crook's forces marched out of the woods along Cedar Creek, the Winchester men, shepherd at their head, leading... "'but they still kept to the shelter of the forest "'and wide ravines along the lower slopes of the mountain. "'The sun was not clear of the eastern hills "'before the heavy thudding of the great guns "'and the angry buzz of the rifles "'came from the direction of Fisher's Hill. "'The demonstration had begun, and it was a big one, "'big enough to make the defenders think "'it was reality and not a sham.' Before Early's earthworks, a great cloud of smoke was gathering. Dick looked over his shoulder at it. It gave him a curious feeling to be marching past while all that crash of battle was going on in the valley. It almost looked as if they were deserting their general. "'How far are we going?' he asked Warner. "'I don't know,' replied the Vermonter, "'but I fancy we'll go far enough.' My little algebra, although it remains unopened in my pocket, tells me that we shall continue our progress unseen until we reach the desired point. These woods have grown up, and these gullies have been furrowed at a very convenient time for us. The light was yet dim in the forests along the slopes, but the valley itself was flooded with the sun's rays. The echoes of the firing rolled continuously through the gorges and multiplied it, Despite the clouds about the earthworks and the hill, Dick saw continual flashes of light, and he knew now that the battle below was a reality and not a sham. Early and all his men would be kept too busy to see the march of Crook and his force on his flank, and Dick, like Warner, became sure that the great movement would be a success. But their progress, owing to the nature of the ground, and the need to keep under cover, was slow. It seemed to Dick that they marched an interminable time under the trees, while the battle flashed and roared in the plain. He saw noon pass, and the sun rise to the zenith. He saw the brilliant light, dim on the eastern mountains, and they were still marching through the forests. The battle was now behind them, and the sun was very low but the command halted and turned toward the east. Nevertheless, they were still hidden by the woods in the low hills of the valley. Yet they lay behind, and on the side of their enemy, who would speedily be exposed where he was weakest, to their full weight. The long flanking movement had been a complete success so far. Little of the day was left. The sun was almost hidden behind the eastern mountains, but it still flamed in the west, glittering along the bayonets of the men in the forest, and showing their eager faces. Dick's heart throbbed. In that moment of anticipated victory, he forgot all about Harry and his friends who were in the closing trap. Then trumpets sang the charge, and the cavalry thundered out of the wood, followed by the infantry and the artillery. At the same time, another powerful division that had been moved forward by Sheridan charged, while those in front increased their fire. The unfortunate southern army was overwhelmed by troops, who had moved forward in such complete unison. They were swept out of their earthworks, driven from their fortified hill, and those who did not fall or were not taken were sent in rapid flight down the valley. The battle was short. Completeness of preparation and superiority in numbers and resources made it so. Early, and what was left of his army had no choice but the flight they made. The sun had nearly set when the deadly charge issued from the wood, and by the time it set, the pursuit was thundering along the valley, the Winchester men in the very forefront of it. Long after dark it continued. Several miles from the field, the fragments of the Invincibles and some others rallied on a hill, posted to cannon, and made a desperate resistance but the attack upon them was so fierce that they were compelled to retreat again, and they did not have time to take the guns with them. It was a strange night to Dick, alike joyous and terrible. He believed that the army of the enemy was practically destroyed, and yet he had a great sympathy for some who were in it. He was in constant fear lest he should find them dead or wounded mortally, but he had no time to look for them. "'Sheridan was pressing the pursuit to the utmost. "'Midnight did not stop it. "'Fugitives were captured continually. "'Here and there, an abandoned cannon was taken. "'Rifles flashed all through the darkness, "'and the horses of the Union cavalry "'were driven to the utmost. "'Neither Dick nor his companions felt exhaustion. "'Their excitement was too great, "'and the taste of triumph was too strong. "'They had seen no such victory before.' and eager and willing, they still led the advance. Midnight passed, and the pursuit never ceased until it reached Woodstock, ten miles from Fisher's Hill. By that time, Sheridan's infantry was exhausted, and as Early was beginning to draw together the remains of his force, he would prove too strong for the cavalry alone. At dawn, the army of Sheridan stopped, the troopers almost falling from their horses in exhaustion while Early used the opportunity to escape with what was left of his men, leaving behind many prisoners and twenty cannon. Yet the triumph had been great, and again, when the telegraph brought the news of it, the swell of victory passed through the north. The Winchester regiment was drawn up near Woodstock, already dismounted, the men standing beside their horses. The camp cooks were lighting the fires for breakfast, But many of the young cavalrymen fell asleep first. Dick managed to stay awake long enough for his food, and then, at the order of the colonel, he slept on the ground, awaiting the command of Sheridan, which might come at any moment.